So, Nick, uh, I've been hearing a lot on other podcasts for some reason this, these last few weeks. I've been hearing a lot about the Desert Island camera. Uh, the last camera or, or the only camera that you would have on the Desert Island. What would, what would yours be? Oh, the Desert Island camera. Mm. Well, yeah. one of the things to keep in mind is it, it should be kind of like sandproof, right? Because we're on a desert island. Okay, is there a magical supply of film and development yeah, oh, yeah, out there yeah. on the side? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a yeah. photo mat. There's a photo okay. mat on the other side of the island. So I could just chop myself up and mail myself back to civilization then? Yes, you could. So you're, not, <laughs> you're, you're just leaving the camera there? Something all right, would be all right. automatic that could view the process or something. <laughs> okay, so if if that opens it up, I don't I don't need to do an Afghan street camera or anything like that. So I would say, I, I think, man, I, I hate this kind of question. I think. <laughs> all right, so if it was if it was uh, if I was on a desert island, I could only have one camera. I think actually it would be a twin lens reflex of some kind. Really? Okay. Yep. Yep. So, so what, why, what, why, why a TLR? Well, because it's a complete compromise because it has some of the qualities of like a, you know, a big old school view, view camera, but you can directly focus. You, you can, you can use it to take a quick snapshot with some practice. Sure. And so it kind of can do both. It can sort of, it can make a big negative with a lot of thought that goes into it and you don't need a lot of extra uh, accessories to make one work well as it right as long as you have some way to prop it up that's one of the things that i i am i'm thinking uh, uh, no batteries is one of the things that you have to have right yeah and the zeiss icon that i have if you take that apart and that, the icoflex it's a twin lens reflex if you take that apart you can fix that with a few hand tools it's really it's it's like opening up a really old american car where there's this okay. giant hood and then there's a small engine with six moving parts in there <laughs> you know <laughs> The old days. <laughs> so you can fix it yeah. with a small rock and a coconut, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although you could probably make a camera with a small rock and a coconut. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen the pinholes uh, made out of coconuts. So, <laughs> of course they exist. <laughs> so, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, right. So I, I think I'm, I'm trying to think of what mine would be. And, um, you know, uh, I, I would say the camera that, I have that takes the best pictures is uh, Bronica ECTL and it's, it has a built-in light meter, but that means I need a battery. Right. And, mm. you know, I do have a Leica or a Leica copy, which, well, I do have a Leica M5, but uh, you know, I, I would, I would need a chiropractor as well because that is a big, heavy camera. Um, mm. But I have a, um, you know, that Bessa R3M I've mentioned it every episode. So, People now should should remember that right. I have that. It's a really good solid camera, and it's the M model, so uh, which means that it's mechanical. There was an A model, which was automatic, and that was an all electronic shutter and aperture priority uh, system camera. But mine's the manual one, and uh, and I shot it for two years without the uh the meter working because for some reason it didn't work for two years and and then magically it worked again uh hmm. so i i might take that and i have a um 50 millimeter 1.5 old soviet uh jupiter 3 that i think works really well uh you know i mean right now it's coming up on 70 years old uh well, that's, and that so, sounds like a, yeah that sounds like a really 
good camera. I actually had right. the same same setup with it with an older, cheaper version of the yeah, yeah, the, of the Voigtlander. Yeah, so uh, so I think that that may be what I would end up with. But um, I would I, I don't love... know. That's the wrong format. With a desert island, you need a square format. Those the islands are always just this little round biscuit with a single tree coming out of it. Sure. And... Sure, but think of think of all that horizon of uh, of of water. What you need a panorama. You need something like a six by three camera made out of plastic. But I'm sure it would melt by the time I. Yeah, you, you could know. just take a whole bunch of squares and line them. Up. Right. So, so we I think we thoroughly thoroughly um, uh, uh, worked our way uh, to the side of that question. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> you know, okay. So, I mean, seriously, if if it's all about the the best camera that I have, it's the it's the Bronica ECTL, but it's a huge square format, um, heavy camera that would you know that uh, I, I'd take that. I'd take that probably. That uh, you know, I'll switch it up. I'll switch it up to that. So, uh, so anyway, hey, do you want to want to start the podcast? Start the uh, homemade camera podcast? Sure. the most important part of the photographic process to me it is the lens um to me the you know because we're working with light we're working with some something that captures light you know film or a sensor um it to me it is the lens that has more to do with what that final image is going to look like than any other thing um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that always, I, I'm one of those people, uh, on Flickr, I always, if I see a picture that I really like, I'll click on it, I'll scroll down to the details and I'll see so many times taken with a Leica M3 and no, no, nothing else. But the yeah. And M- it wasn't the damn camera. It was the lens. On right. The camera, right. right yeah. Exactly. I mean, the Leica M3, oh, it felt really good when I advanced the film, you know, uh, it advanced the film really well. Well, you know, and it, and it had an accurate shutter speed. Well, that's not unique to a light. Okay, now but you've just glass... given me a really good idea. I have to break in. Okay. Now, now we need to come up with a homemade adapter so that you can put the worst, most fogged and cracked Vivitar lens in your collection mounted <laughs> on a Leica. <laughs> you know, the only Vivitar lens I have in my collection is a really nice 24 millimeter f 2.0. So it won't be Vivitar. All right, all right, a Soligor. No, I have some. I have uh, some nice Vivitar. Even things. better, I'll crack the lens off my Debonair because the there lens. The, my, Put an M mount on that lens. Yes, absolutely. Because yes. that particular one, it is. It, it has like a blurry spot right in the center. Of, of my my debonair and, and i've seen other debonairs that don't so i don't know if i was really lucky that the, you know the machine was running off temperature when it squirted out the lens into the <laughs> into the well, plastics but but yes yeah, so we're there. making a joke out of this but i actually think you can go buy a, a plastic lens on an m-mount somewhere oh you, later, probably so. could. you probably <laughs> could so so anyway um it so it, to me it's always the lens that's that's the thing that bends the light that's the thing that focuses the light that's the thing that has the character uh 
so, uh, so that's, you know, that's the idea. Now we have, we have last week, our last episode, we did, uh, the body and it's one of the seven main parts, uh, of a camera, uh, of a camera build. So you want to go over those again, Nick? Yeah, we decided that the basics to have a decent camera would be a body, a way to move the film through it or sensor. Uh, that's two. And then the lens, the shutter, aperture, focusing mechanism, and a viewfinder. And of those, some of them can be collapsed into one. For instance, lens and aperture could be the same in a pinhole camera. Sure, but sure. You need to account for all of those seven things, even if one one function does more than one of them. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about that lens. Um, uh, and particularly we're going to be talking about existing lenses. Um, uh, we do have planned a future episode where we're going to talk about making lenses from scratch or making lenses from other lens components, but we're not going to be talking about this one, um, that this time. So we're going to be talking about, um, uh, working with an existing lens and right, which gives you a, a nice head start because that's the part that really matters. And someone who knew what they were doing, did it. And right. Right. Somebody who has, you know, the supercomputers and the advanced, uh, mathematical, uh, uh, knowledge, uh, as opposed to us with, Hey, that fits, you know, also they have <laughs> machinery that can do the endless rubbing that's required. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. So some, some of the lenses that we'll be talking about today, um, uh, we'll start with, uh, with, um, you know, with nothing in them. So it'll be just completely glass. Um, mm -hmm. so there'll be, you know, like a projector lens, uh, an enlarger lens, something like that. Now, right. that, what, we, what we call a barrel lens. Right. And that, and that is missing, um, uh, the, the, the light, mm, uh, modifying components of the shutter and the aperture. Uh, but then some of these lenses, some of the lenses will, um, have a shutter and an aperture built in. Or just one of the two, yeah. Um, or yeah, or or one of the two. Um, and um, and so we we will, uh, you know, so so that gets you um a little bit closer to your final build without having to build those components. Uh, so there are different kinds of uh, lens configurations you can start with. What are the the basic uh, most basics different options? Okay, so uh, we talked about the the lens without any. Uh, shutter or aperture. Uh, we get a lot of lenses, particularly like SLR lenses and, 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 and system uh, lenses where there's an aperture built in, but the shutter is elsewhere. Usually in the camera body. Yeah. Usually in the camera body, but those have the advantage of having a focusing mechanism, uh, a helical focusing mechanism within them. Uh, yeah, and some of some I want to just break in and say a lot of them do, but yeah. there are in the large format world you can even find ones that would, which don't have that, uh, right? But do do match it in the other ways, right? And then we have um, some, you know, and, and this is something that that we actually didn't even talk about ahead of time, but uh, we have zoom lenses, so we have lenses that also will be able to adjust their focal length. Um, while on the camera, um, that's true. And, I hardly ever use them. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I think I have maybe two out of 
40 of them. Uh, so out of, yeah, so I don't, I, I don't use those hardly at all, but, but there's something that, that could be very effective depending on your, um, on your camera build. Um, then we have, um, some that have the shutter built in, um, and the aperture built in like the large format lenses, but don't have any focusing mechanisms. Right. Right. And then there are, are just some rare ones. Um, and the Mamaya press system is one of the few, uh, lens systems that have these, but there's some that have all three built in. So there's a shutter in there. There is an aperture built in in there, and it has a uh, focusing helical, and that all mounts. That's true for the modern uh, sort of interchangeable lens, but actually almost all cameras before World War II, like common everyday cameras, had that type of lens with all three focusing shutter and aperture all built right the lens. And, and those and, and it's it's something um you know that's important to note is that those um built-in built-in our lenses with built-in uh shutters are all lenses with built-in leaf shutters uh as opposed to curtain shutters and <clears throat> and true, they yeah. have some limitations and some uh some advantages and some, advantages. And some yeah and some limitations yeah. so we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more um, yeah. you know, as we go forward. But I just wanted to, to point out that that was the default for kind of everyday tourist cameras for, right. for most of the, tw- the whole first half of the 20th century. Yeah. And, yeah. And those lenses do turn up. If you find a, a camera that's really past repair, but the lens, you know, parts still work, which does happen because some right. of those things get squashed and, you know, sat on and all that. And, and, and when we talk about yeah. shutters, um, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but one of the things that, that some cameras will do is that they will have a shutter cocking mechanism that will be, um, uh, you know, on the body of the camera and it will go through a shaft to the lens and, and, and you have to adapt those, but we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more when we get to uh, talking about shutters. So if you're going to start a camera build, uh, do you think it's better to have a lens with built-in focusing mechanism, shutter and aperture, or, or one without? Well, I guess it, it kind of depends on what you're trying to do, um, but there are lots of advantages to having the whole system already available, and uh, it's fairly, you know, as you were saying, there's a fairly narrow category of lenses that have all of these things, um, and they they do have some of their own problems. So it's, it's not certainly not the best solution for all cameras, but it's very handy. Um, so one advantage is that usually the whole system is, is calibrated as one unit. So all you need to do is get the lens mounted exactly the right distance from the film. And then all the focusing scales will be accurate and all the parts will work together as they're designed to, which is an advantage in in that sense that you end up with this, this sort of neat, neatly functioning device it's it does make it harder though because you have to nail infinity focus just right you do have to position it in the best possible place and so far i've found that just using the measurements supplied on an internet site don't always work and i found that i need to make my bodies a little bit short and then shim the lens until everything's perfect 
um, using trial and error to get it just right. So that's... It, it, what are the situations in which you want to say not have a shutter or not have the focusing, not have the um, aperture? What, what are the arguments against having it all yeah, built in one right, package? Right. Well, there there's the general one, which is that, as you pointed out, there are limited availability. So there are many, many wonderful tiny little lenses from the first half of the 20th century that have all these parts in them. But they're very small, and they're all in the normal focal length for whatever format they're designed for. So you're limited to just that normal. And then the Mamiya Press gives you um, more focal length choices, but those are kind of big and heavy uh, lenses, so they're only suitable for big, heavy cameras. There are a few of the wide ones that are kind of manageably small, but they're still chunky. They're not little. And the, and they're also uh, medium format. So if you're building a 35-millimeter camera, they're they're kind of out uh, right, and if you build situation. a camera for any one of these uh, system, even the system like the Mia Press, it's only going to work well with that lens or that system. Whereas if you have an, a camera body with a shutter and or a focusing system built into it, it opens up a huge, much greater variety of, of uh, options. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And the other advantages of separating the functions is that you're not stuck with what came off the shelf. Like as you were pointing out, sometimes you don't, you know, a leaf shutter doesn't do what you need it to. Um, and, you, you know, some cameras actually had both, which was kind of great. You could, you can always do that, uh, have an in-body shutter and then also use lenses. Yeah. Uh, press too. cameras often. Um, yeah. And some of the those. medium format, the great medium format systems did that too. Um, but the, the other final thing is the, is the issue of focus and, that's a the method of focusing a camera. I think has the most impact on how it is to use. Okay. So the lens matters more to the image, but the focusing mechanism I think is the thing that most either you know appeals to or drives photographers crazy because it really changes how you use the camera. So I think that that when the, the lens has a built-in focusing system, then that also kind of tells you you can only use it certain ways. You can use it with, um, you know, scale focusing, or you can use it while you're peering through the lens. But there isn't any, usually there's no way to hook it up with any other systems. Or, and, you know. you know, something here, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Franken cameras that I already, uh, I've already built. And I want, um, I want people to understand that a fixed focus camera can be a very, very effective camera in that if you are walking around and you're focusing your camera and you're uh, uh, assuming that you're shooting somewhat stop down, say F8 or, or smaller, um, you are almost always going to be at or very close to infinity focus when you take that final shot. Because if if you're stopped down to f8, you know it really takes something twenty feet or closer to in order to really uh, need focusing. Okay, so most of what we take pictures of, unless you're a close-up photographer, most of what we take pictures of is stuff that is farther away. And and here's where it really hits me. Uh, I have these Franken cameras, and um, uh, I set up. Um, three of the four that I'm running right now um, to have, um, I, I'm sorry, two of the four 
have focusing mechanisms and two of the four are uh, hyperfocal. And what I've found with, when I have the, when I'm working with the, the, the ones that have the, the helical on them, um, I'm, I'm looking, you know, and I, and I have zone focusing. I mean, I are scale focusing. I look at it and I go, okay, so that's uh, so many feet away. And I look on it and it's like 10 feet is almost <laughs> it, uh, on these, on these helicals is almost the same as infinity. So I go to 10 feet and it's like, uh, yeah, should I just left it in infinity? I'm stopped down. Shoot. You know? Um, so there's, uh, I really so want what you're getting at. What you're getting at is that you, you usually use the same settings over and over right. and over again. Right. You might as well build a camera set that way. One of the nice compromises, Voigtlander always put two little marks on their focusing scale. One is for hyperfocal distance with it at 5.6. Oh, okay. And the other is for mid-range. So like on the old, you know, the cameras that said one bloke, three blokes right. landscape. Yep. It's those, those marks are on there in red. And so they're just anticipating you're going to use it that way. Right. And that's true even on their rangefinder cameras because sometimes, you know, looking around through the rangefinder is more, more fussing than you want to do. Right. I agree. I, that's one reason I like folding cameras so much is that yeah. you use them that, you use them that way. Anyway, so what this boils down to is that as long as you can manage that somehow with the lens you have on the camera, you'll find it much more useful. And then there's something to be said for not having any focusing mechanism, as you're suggesting. Just right. set the camera right. up for hyperfocal and use it. That's what all the old box cameras were like, too. You know, that was that was, and there are some advantages to that, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I just want to I, I just want to express to people: don't be afraid of of putting together a camera that doesn't have a focusing mechanism, because you know, even though we're really hard cord wired to that. You know, if you're stopped down at all, it's just, it's not as big a deal. So, well, that's, but that's kind of my point because yeah. what you're saying is focusing is such a, uh, issue for photographers that if you eliminate it, in some ways the camera can be, it can be more effective. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it can be more fun and it can be right. quicker. It can be, you know, and, you know, so. Anyway, uh, well, it boils down to setting it and forgetting it. And I suppose you, you could make an argument for just putting like a set screw on your focusing helical so that you could convert a camera from one type to the other. Yeah, or, or super glue, right? <laughs> super glue is the same thing. Well, well, or tape. Let's say tape. Let's say tape. Okay. Yeah. And we could, and, and, you know, you could, we could challenge people. Um, you know, if you've got an SLR, um, take it out. Um, stop it down to F16. Look at the uh, depth of field. Put the put the far depth of field at infinity on the scale, and just take that thing down and and then walk around and look and see if there are any situations where you really feel like you need to focus more closely. And you can you can test that out pretty quickly and pretty easily, and uh, uh, and find that maybe that's the experience you want. You know, uh, maybe. Maybe that's a, a, a good shooting experience. So, you, you know, people even work with that method with extreme close-ups, and the example is divers. So the l water kills light off so effectively that you need to get really close to your subject when you're underwater and right. also just to get color, any kind of color accuracy. So what they do is they, they make these cameras with a very wide-angle lens, 
and often a little wire frame that you literally press up against the coral or whatever you're photographing so that the shutter, the focus distance is just determined by, a, you know, a rigid rod. Right. Um, yeah, I've seen that. And so you, you can take the same approach to close-up work and it's very effective. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so that's uh, that's the focusing uh, mechanism. Um, we also have aperture. Now, um, aperture is something that, um, uh, you know, generally you're going to want to control in one way or another. But you can work um, with, you know, uh, with basic Sunny 16 rules or even a, you know, a handheld meter and adjust your shutter speed and leave in a, a um, uh, 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 I want to say solid, but that's not uh, a standard aperture. Um, sure. You could, you could basically, you know, that we talked about waterhouse stops, which is right. just a little, a little flat piece of metal with a, with a certain size hole in it. And you could basically just build one into the camera and all the, a lot of the old tourist cameras and box cameras were that way. They had either one or maybe two apertures just on a sliding strip of metal that you could slide back and forth and, uh, you know, actually could make, you could make three or four apertures that way. And, and they don't necessarily have to follow the you know, one, two, three steps. If you're, if you're able to do a, a little, uh, exposure computing in your head, you could actually just have a, a really wide one and a really small one. And, on the camera. and that's what little, yeah. um, uh, that's what a lot of, uh, semi-automatic or, or fully automatic, uh, point and shoot cameras of the sixties did, you know, they would have, a, I was like indoor versus outdoor. Right. Right. right and they right. would, you know, they would have two shutter speeds and two apertures and end up with four different settings and with some latitude on your film, you know, it's going to, Take, right. take care of almost every shooting condition. Um, so, so those, those types of things are, uh, I, I think relatively easy to, to, um, to work through. Now, one, one of the things that's nice also, um, is, um, a lot of cheaper lenses come with, uh, with two blades, uh, essentially. And they come and they stop down to a square or maybe they come with five blades and it stops down to a pentagram. And so your bokeh all has pentagram shaped elements. Right. Or um, X or whatever. Or, or whatever. So, so there, and, and that just has to do with the, that shape of the aperture. Um, now with a waterhouse stop, it, there's nothing saying that waterhouse stop has to be a perfect circle. Um, you can, you could do a star, you can do, and, uh, some of the things that I've seen are hearts. You'll see hearts done <laughs> every once in a while. Um, yeah, I know that that really works. I think Nick's gonna, gonna, gonna cut one of those tomorrow and, uh, take I don't it think out. so. No, I'm not going to do the heart, <laughs> but you know, I might do, I might do a new moon or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there are, um, people who do uh pinhole, but it's not a pinhole. But it's a slit instead, mm -hmm. and you get uh, a different kind of effect. Well, you could do that with your aperture. Um, so uh, it's not the shutter, but it, it's the aperture stopping down. And maybe you have an oval or a, or a long hey, rectangle or something. Now like you're that. reminding me what the coolest version of this is. And actually, there's somebody who's, I think that this camera is actually on our, our Flickr group for Homemade po Camera Podcast. Um, and I think he goes by the name of Efo on Flickr. But anyway, this guy made a rotating panorama camera 
And what that does is it combines aperture and shutter into one mechanism. It's a slit. It's a slit aperture, so a vertical slot in a in a curtain or or a cylindrical form that rotates past the film. So you're basically shining this thin slit of light on the film in it, but keeping it constantly moving from left to right. So the speed of movement and the size of the slit give you control over both shutter speed and aperture, but it's all one mechanism. It's a really yeah. interesting design. And I think the Russians maybe came up, or maybe Germans came up no, with no. it originally. No, 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 no. Um, no, Kodak no. had one of those. Oh, um, of course. It, it made out of wood, and I think, it, you know, 1908, that type of time wow. frame. Um, wow. There's, I know, when I first saw one of those, and it's, and that the lens rotates along with the slit, um, as, uh, as opposed exactly. to like the film going by or the, or the camera itself turning. Right. And, yeah. and it's all that, it's all housed in a leather, um, uh, bushing. I don't know what I said. That's not the right word. Uh, a leather boot so that it's flexible as it goes through, but it stays, it maintain it, it allows that swinging lens but yeah the without russians any, without any light leaks the russians so they took off well the, the germans made beautiful ones and then the, yeah. and the russians made them and the russians still make them they're actually still yeah. available but they're they're yeah. not very i gather they're not very solid yeah so anyway this one uh one of our uh one of the people that we have showing some of their pictures and on the Flickr page ha has made a really great one that's actually very simple i've i don't know if you've seen the picture of it but it's it's extremely low tech, but it does. I'll have to look. I'll have to look that job. back up. Yeah. It's not sticking in my head, yeah. but I'll have to look that uh, look that back. Anyway, up. that's a really interesting to me because I like panorama uh, images, and there's a bunch of advantages to that. It gets rid of um, it gets rid of some of the perspective issues because you're it's it's almost as if you're taking it's almost as if you're panning the camera, mm -hmm. um, but you don't have to. It's cool. So uh, one of the things that uh, we talked about um, drawing a blank, it's one of one of the, our people from our Flickr group as well had had created a camera with a uh, projector lens and he put a put tinfoil over the end of his lens and just only shot it in low light situations and just took the lens, you know, essentially took the lens cap off. You could do it with any lens cap. Oh, right. Um, so low, low enough, uh, slow enough shutter speed and you don't need a mechanism. You can use your body. Right. Right. Or, you know, and we can, you know, Hey, that's a, I mean, cause we've all had situations with our SLRs, you know, out shooting and it, Oh, that's a one second exposure. I better find a rock to put that on while I take that picture. Well, you know, that's the lighting condition where you could go out and, and do it where you would not have to have a focusing mechanism. You would not have to have an aperture and you would not have to have a, um, a shutter. Uh, but you can essentially, um, uh, you know, do all of those, all of those things on an automatic, um, or not an automatic, mm -hmm. but I guess, a uh, uh, a human powered manual. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, that would be, so that's the, that's the most basic approach. Um, and, and then I'm really at this point, uh, it's going to be slow, but I'm trying to put my attention to designing some sort of homemade shutter that I like. Yeah. And I especially want to build one that will fit on the back of some kind of lens board. Okay. Because 
that would create a way that I can, I could try all different lenses and put them on all different bodies. And, and that's kind of, for me, that's the most, to me, that's the most compelling part of the homemade cameras that like, there's one side of me that thinks that you should make purpose built perfect little things to do one job, but I end up not wanting to do that. I end up really just wanting to experiment and mix and match and move things around. So I'm always going towards a more modular approach. And if you had, if you had a shutter on a lens board that you could stick any piece of glass on and then put it on just about any of your cameras, that would be really, you'd learn a lot in a hurry. And and one thing to think about, I mean, we're not doing the shutters uh, this time around, but one of the things to think about is that even, you know, if you do it with rubber bands, you know, if you have, um, you know, like a guillotine kind of um, uh, system where you have, uh, or kind of or, a slingshot shutter, right? Well, no, it's just <laughs> okay. So you, so you have a closed, a closed um, setting, and then it opens with a rubber band, you know, um, going across, and then, right, right. and then you trigger that second um, rubber band to to close the second shutter, you know, which is essentially a modern, uh, curtain shutter. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be one sixtieth of a second right on. It can be, you know, I just, it can be one seventy fifth of a second and you just tailor everything to one seventy fifth of a second. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, so, so, and you, you know, and then your rubber bands wear out and it starts down, you know, it's one fiftieth of a second, one thirty. I just, I just (laughs) thought of, I thought of a mechanism. Here's a challenge. Make a Mm -hmm. shutter out of a mousetrap. A traditional, okay. you know, slapping down mousetrap. Although it would, <laughs> we've got one challenge going, which is challenging me once. We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll, we'll let's. Uh, that may be our next challenge, but um, let's not make it official quite yet. Uh, I think we'll just say build a shutter, but that's not until after the, the trash can is real. One of the most difficult things to work through with building a cam- uh, you know a lens camera uh, is mounting the lens to the body. So so what are our options for doing that? Well, I've already talked about how I like uh, a lens board approach where you you just mount the lens on a little board that can move from one camera to another. But um, that's just sort of uh, a simple way to make interchangeable lens camera you still have to attach the lens onto the board itself um and that depends on the lens so some lenses will come with a you know a threaded ring on the back so that you just basically stick it through a hole and tighten up the screw and most of the old older cameras as well as most few camera lenses work that way then you've got all those lenses from more modern cameras that have special bayonet mounts that are designed to keep you buying only from the original camera maker and there the over the years people have solved that problem by making adapters and so you can buy adapters that fit those lenses to other cameras and and use that as a way to to build an a bayonet mount into your camera so you would in that case mount the adapter to the body in some way yeah you have to glue it on yeah providing the right flange back distance and mm-hmm. then, then you can just clip on the lens and then another way to approach it is most of the old system cameras had um 
what are called extension tube systems so that you could you could uh, attach cameras farther and farther or lenses farther from the camera in order to take close-up pictures well, those are often the cheapest way to get a bayonet mount so if you get the smallest size you'll get this nice little ring with the right bayonet mount on one side and this it'll have the same bayonet mount on the other but you can usually just either remove it or just glue it on there and they're often it makes plastic a, so you can yeah and they're often really out. really inexpensive and they'll come in a set of three or four so you've got you know three or four ways to attach that brand of lens to three or four different cameras it's yeah. it's a good good way to do it and they're cheap there's also um uh screw mounts um so this is this is something that i've done in the past and that is um if you can you know say you're using a, a canon um fd lens we'll go with that mm-hmm. canon fd lens and a canon fd lens to an m42 screw mount adapter and then you take that screw mount adapter and you just screw it in to uh, say you're you do, creating a wood body. Well, you make yeah, that's a great idea. You make that yeah. hole just you know right at that right size, and then you screw it in. Um, mm-hmm. Or you could even you know cut the hole for for the um, you know out of metal or something, and or you screw glue. it in. Or screw or you glue. could right. Or, or you could do that. And then you can still get the lens off. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. And, and I've done that more than once. Um, uh, you know, where, where it's, it just screw it right in. Well, you're talking about, you're talking about screwing the lens into the camera body. And then that brings up like, well, what kind of camera body materials you, might you be dealing oh, with? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, we already talked about wood. And then one of the nice things about working with aluminum is that aluminum is soft enough that if, if you cut a hole in it and you start to thread something through it, that's, you know, got the same diameter, it'll, but it's it'll like a cut steel its thread. thread. Right. Right. Steel thread will cut in aluminum. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. can work aluminum with woodworking tools. It's a good, it's a good material. Yeah. Um, um, you can also use, you know, a plastic, um, uh, you know, something like Lucite. Now you'd have to, uh, and, and Lucite's really nice in that it will thread very well. Um, uh, but you have to find some way to make that lucite light tight. So, um, you know, it's not necessarily the best material, but it will it will do a very nice thread. And uh, so that's one of the advantages for that. Okay, so that's, the you know, that's for 35 millimeter and even 120 systems. Um, what do we do for for large formats? Well, I mentioned before that those are usually set up with a lens board. And I guess... Maybe that some people won't know what that is, but it's most people have seen them. It'll be a, usually a square piece of metal or wood or even sometimes plastic that has a round hole that matches the usually actually matches the shutter mount that your lens is mounted into. And you just poke that uh, threaded flange on the back of the shutter through there and or it could be on the back of the lens. And then you have a what's called a retaining ring, which is just a a ring with threads on the inside that screws like a nut onto that back of that lens and usually has little notches that you have, uh, that you use a, what's called a spanner wrench to tighten up the, uh, retaining ring. And that just physically holds it in place in the lens board. And then the lens board mates with a light tight connection on the camera. And you can, they're pretty easy to build because all it really is, is it's like the lid of a box. Essentially. If you, if you have, if you make a box with a lid that goes over the edges and you paint everything black on the inside, 
the light doesn't want to go around the corner and, and get in there. One of the things that's uh, important to note is that those lens boards are not actually, um, they're not threaded. Um, it's just a smooth hole. Um, Although sometimes people will take uh, a thing called a lens flange and screw that onto the lens board, and then it becomes like an M42 mount, um, and you can screw the lenses on and off. That's that's actually a, some large format photographers like to do that. I don't because I feel like I'm going to wear the threads out if I keep you know on doing it, right. taking it on and off all the time. Right. Um, one of the things also, um, when you're working with a, a, a large format lens, uh, and, and Nick mentioned it, but I think it's really worth, worth noting, and that is that there are standard size openings on these lens boards that correspond to standard sized lens, uh, or excuse me, standard sized shutters. So, um, this, the, the, the common ones are the, uh, the zero, the one, the two, the three, and the four in gaining in sizes. And you can, you can look these up. You can just, um, uh, there's also, lens board there's also the, the double lot, the double zero, which is even smaller. Yeah. And, and I have a couple of, uh, uh, of lenses with the double zero, which, which makes for a really tiny little lens and a little, uh, and, it um, uh, well, anyway, it's a it's a good. I've heard I've heard that shutters that small are very delicate and need to be treated with extra care as well. And, um, and that and that very well may be true. I've not had any issues with any of uh, of mine so far. Now that those are the standard sizes, and they go, they can you know uh, the the zero through four are the standard you know the five standard sizes, but um, but there are size five, size six, size seven. There they, they get they get bigger and, and then you can, you can end up with a, with, with a very large, um, or a need for a very large opening on a lens board or the front of a camera, uh, in right. order to mount them. So it's, it's important to know what that, um, shutter size is. And, uh, you know, when you're, you can usually look them up, um, you know, they're, or, uh, if you're buying them on eBay, you'll find, you'll find, Listings like um, uh, Super Angulon ninety f eight in a Copal Zero shutter, and, and that's and they'll tell you what the shutter size is. So um, you know it's it was a, a standard shutter that was made, and a, then a ton of lenses were made to screw in either side of those uh, shutters. So even if mm-hmm. you know, so if you have a shutter that goes bad, it's not actually that difficult to just swap out a shutter and put, right. put or, your lens or, back or on. vice versa. Yeah. Right. One of the nice things about those. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, all, one of the other things about that mount is, um, now since it's a screw on mount and Nick was talking about not wanting to screw, you know, to, to screw it on so many times that the threads get, you know, uh, uh, destroyed essentially. So one of the issues um, is that you're going to cock the shutter by pressing down on a lever that turns clockwise as you're facing the lens. Um, and what might tend to loosen up the, the lens after a while. Right. You know, so, so in order to avoid the problem of over-tightening these things to, to avoid that situation, there is often a pin that sits a couple of millimeters outside of the threaded ring 
And that pin just would fit into a recess on the lens board. Or even just a little hole drilled or, in the lens board. Right. And, and they're easy. I, you know, I've done it uh, with a file uh, and a notch. You know, like if I, if I cut the opening out of, you know, a piece of aluminum, sometimes I just have to, to file out uh, a little notch and, right, and right. to accommodate that. But it's, it's, it, those things are really good to have because what they do is they um, allow you to cut the lens without the lens rotating as you're, as mm. you're working. Which yeah, that sounds good. Sure, and also it it automatically lines it up if you've got the notch in the right place, so that the lens is right side up on the lens board. <laughs> and I, I haven't run into a lot of those, but uh, maybe maybe they get maybe people remove them. Maybe some of the I use pretty old lenses. I'm, I don't have very many newer ones, so maybe that's why. So we've come, gone over quite a bit of it. How easy it will be to take the lens on and off, or you know, if you even want to do that, um, you need to figure out how to keep light out of the camera. Uh, a lot of the systems we've described, large format lenses attaching to lens boards, those are usually designed to be light tight. So using working with those systems, you're usually, it's pretty obvious what to do. Uh, with some of the homemade things, you might have to think a little bit about keeping light out because um, if you're just screwing something into a piece of aluminum, you might end up with a crack somewhere. You have to think about that. Um, and then but one of the, for me, the biggest thing is having a way to adjust the distance between the lens and the film. So if the camera has bellows, that's just built in. But if the camera doesn't, if the focusing mechanism is either non-existent or separate from the uh, uh, camera, if it's part of the lens, you need to have a way to make final, very small adjustments in the length in order to get focus to work right. And uh, so that's, again, I've mentioned this before, but that's something that I think is really important. Okay, so once you've figured out how to connect the lens to the camera body, uh, what do you have to think about in terms of uh, where the lens should be in the system? Okay, so one of the things that I've uh, uh, I, I, I've made the mistake of before, and so this is one of the things that I, I really pay attention to, is the lens has to sit dead center in the middle of your frame excuse me, in the middle of your frame, up above, you know, the, the level of the frame. But if you have it off to the left or you have it off to the right or above or below, you will be distorting your image uh, to a certain extent. Now, this is exactly what the shift on a shift lens or the shift on the front standard or the, or the, or the back standard sure, view or, of a view camera movements. will do. Right. So, I mean, it, it's not that you could not, do something creative um, with that, uh, and maybe maybe you want to have that. Maybe you want to have a panoramic camera where the lens sits at one end. Um, that could be a lot of fun. Um, but um, if you don't, <laughs> if you really want it to to work like a standard camera, you just make sure that that all your measurements set that lens right at dead center. So uh, one of the other things is um, the it not only does it have to be dead center, but it sh needs to be level. 
um, because modern lenses, and we're talking about lensed cameras, this doesn't, this isn't a big issue with pinholes, but with lensed cameras, those modern lenses are creating a, a, a point of focus that is absolutely flat. Um, so it's flat at the edges. Well, some are. You know. There's actually, I, 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 there's a lot of lenses with a curved plane of focus, but sure. we're getting off topic. What you're yeah. really talking about is that, that whatever kind of plane of focus it has is perpendicular to the absolutely. lens. Absolutely. So if, absolutely. if the lens isn't perpendicular to the film, then you'll start to see some, you know, effects. Yeah. Or, or another way of saying it is, is that that lens board or the, the mounting point has to be parallel, perfectly parallel to the to film. the film, yeah. So, Same so thing, that right. that would definitely work. So, then of course we've talked about it before, but it, it you know it, it bears um, you know pointing out is uh, you have to have the focal length right, and that matters when you need to focus on infinity, right? Um, that's that's the crucial thing, and and the the part that you need to make sure is working right. Uh, and and the, that means the lens needs to be able to get close enough to the film for things that are an infinity distance away to be in focus. So, yeah. And, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about flange distance. One of the uh, this is this is something that you're going to have to go to the show notes on. Um, but um, there is an excellent um, resource in uh, Wikipedia. Um, and I will, uh, I'll, I'll have it in the show notes that lists an incredible number of, um, of different lens mounts. Um, so say it has Canon FD and Canon EF and, um, you know, uh, all the, uh, every major lens system, focusing system, uh, or, or camera system is what I'm sh- going to say, is it has the flange focusing, focusing excuse me, the flange distance um, listed on this. So a- as Nick said, um, this is a, it's a starting point. It is absolutely a starting point. But without that starting point, then you're, you're going to run into to some trouble. But um, it, it's an incredible resource on there. And uh, uh, being an academic, um, I have trouble sending people to Wikipedia. But this is a good, this is a good source. Um, Don't worry. Wikipedia is not after your job. No, no. They're not after my job. It's just uh, <laughs> you have to remind, I have to remind students that it is an entertainment site that has a lot of accurate information on it. But it also I has have to no say, way of speaking, telling whether it is all accurate. So... <laughs> Speaking as a historian, I think that's true of all human culture. <laughs> I don't. I think they're picking on Wikipedia because they're just the new new kid on the block. Well, but yeah, I've never seen any text created by humans anywhere that didn't have a certain amount of fantasy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there is perspective and history is written by the winners and all that. But anyway, so so I'll I'll have that in in the show notes. Um, so. Um, uh, there's also, uh, you know, we talk about the flange focal distance, or excuse me, not the flange focal distance, but the... Uh, flange back distance. Yeah, the flange back distance. But what, um, what I was trying to say there was we talk a lot uh, uh, about the hyperfocal distance, which is uh, the point at which the farthest part of your depth of field is at the horizon, or at, um, uh, not the horizon, but uh, at infinity. Infinity. And... Right. Um, there, uh, I also have a website that I'm going to put in the show notes that has a calculator, 
Um, so you can, you know, you can look at, it's, it's primarily set up actually for the modern digital cameras, but you can put in information. You want a focal length, aperture, and, um, if you put those two things in, it should give you a hyperfocal for each aperture. Right. Well, but the deal is that this does it for, for different sensor sizes and different film sizes um and it actually it actually lists uh i i think a pentax k or something no maybe i'm thinking of a nikon something anyway it lists a essentially the 30 35 millimeter equivalent full frame dslr um and but you know like i have this this six by three camera um six centimeters by three centimeter camera that i went in and i put in that information and the focal length of the lens that I was using, and it gave me exactly what the um, it gave me tons of information. There's a lot more information on on here than um, just the uh, the hyperfocal distance, but it will calculate the hyperfocal distance for you, uh, and that's something that is really nice. So we'll put that in the show notes. So take a look at those. Is your garbage cam coming along? Well, uh, I haven't really made any part of it yet. I'm still thinking about it and been too busy to do much with it. And I probably should just do the first thing that comes into my head. But I keep thinking if this is a thing that's going to go on and on and I'm going to be forced to use this camera, then I want to make it a little bit uh, more fun than I'm, that. So. I'm kind of in the opposite boat on that. And that is I went ahead and made one. And I think I made it so poorly. <laughs> I don't want it to be my official camera. <laughs> so, well, I think isn't that the nature of a garbage cam? Is you should be able to make it anew every day. Yeah, I'm gonna. There's always more. I'm garbage. going to definitely have to. It, it appears what I, what I did for mine was um, I uh, took a 12 pack from uh, or the 12 pack paperboard container from a 12 pack of soda. Okay. And, um, I, the first thing I did was test whether it was light tight and found that at one ply, it was not light tight, but if I folded it over to, you know, so I had two, um, layers of it, uh, of the material, it was pretty light tight. So, so I doubled it over and I doubled it over. So I had the brown side out, the unprinted rough paper brown side out, and I think I should have done it the other way. So I had the, it, it's, um, uh, it's from a, a generic, uh, Winn-Dixie or store brand is what I should say. Winn-Dixie, um, uh, uh, Fresca knockoff. Uh, and, um, so I, I did that. I used two 35 millimeter canisters, um, for the film transport and a wood, wooden dowel to, you can, there's, there's a right size and I'll measure that and put it in the show notes as well, but there's a right size wooden dowel that will fit right inside the, um, the advance portion, uh, you know, uh, the advance reel, um, on a 35 millimeter canister and it will, 
it will stick in there and will advance. And you just saw up. you saw a little slot in the end of it, so you it don't engage. You don't with the spool. You don't even need the slot. This fits just perfectly. Uh, friction will will work for you on that. Um, so, and then I uh, made a pinhole out of a beer can. Um, so uh, I do have. Uh, a little tutorial on how to make a pinhole that's on our website, uh, which is homemadecamera.com. And uh, just look up pinhole resources and uh, how to make a pinhole will work with that. Um, and essentially what you do is you get a needle. You want a, a very sharp, they sell them as sharps, uh, but just a, a needle, um, uh, a sewing needle. And you want to Right, the finest one you can finest come up with. finest one you can come up with, and it's never gonna it should never go through the actual metal. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna push it through, so you make a an indentation, then you flip it around, and with an emery board or some like 250 grit sandpaper, you just sand off the mountain that you've created the the uh, the convex part that you've created. You sand that down and sand that down uh, and then turn it over, push it again and sand it down. And that's the idea. That's where the hole is going to form. You So basically you're getting it thinner and thinner before thinner and you thinner. actually pierce. Well, right. well, thinner and thinner. And the idea is that the hole is revealed when you take away metal as opposed to it being pierced through. Because otherwise you have not a flat hole in or a, a hole in a flat piece of metal. You have a hole in... You know, essentially, um, uh, you know, a volcano caldera. You know. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna now need to test this theory because I have a I have a dissecting microscope, and what you're describing from a metalworker's point of view sounds more crude than it needs to be. Oh, okay. I I would I would probably pierce all the way through, and then sand the back off till the mountain went down. Because I believe you would find that was a truer circle. That could be. Um, and, and I've seen it described both ways, but having done a lot of, of metal work, that feels like it would be more likely to work. Um, and then, of course, it depends on how big the hole is you're trying to make. Right, uh, right. As well. And you're limited by needles. And then, of course, you. this is the garbage cam. You have to do it yourself. Although, I guess the needle, the tool, yeah, that's a household tool. Yeah, right. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. So... Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's where I am with that. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll shoot some, uh, in the next, uh, before the next episode. And, uh, anybody who also has a garbage cam, uh, set up, I've, I've, uh, gotten some, some texts, uh, from people and some, uh, messages from people that they were, they were working through and making theirs. You know, if you have any, you can post them on our uh, Flickr group, which is the Homemade Camera Podcast. Uh, yeah, the Homemade Camera Podcast in Flickr. You can search out that group and uh, and post them there. Uh, join join up and uh, and post them there, and you know we'll uh, we'll give you feedback uh, and we'll laugh along with you and occasionally at you. So, <laughs> so, so I have a question for you. When you make these needle pin holes, yes. do you, do you, uh, try and figure out the size you've Okay. Created? So, um, so yeah. And here's how you do it. And it works much better with a scanner. Um, you, you go to your scanner, you set your scanner to a thousand DPI. No, sorry. A thousand DPC. 
which is a thousand dots per centimeter because you want to, you nice. want it metric. So right. <clears throat> you go in and zoom in and you scan it and, uh, you go in and you count the number of pixels. So, um, at a thousand dots per centimeter, each millimeter has 10. Am I right? Thousand? Yeah. Um, no, a hundred. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So e- yeah, each millimeter would have a hundred, um, uh, pixels. pixels. So you want, so say you're going for, uh, uh, three tenths, um, uh, you know, a 0.3 millimeter hole, which is a, a common size for, for 50 millimeter, um, pinhole. So it's 300 pixels. So no, it would be 30 pixels. So, cause it's three tenths of a millimeter. Oh, tenths of a millimeter. Oh, so yeah, yeah. it would be 30 pixels wide. You go and you count the pixels. And, oh, that's so that's a great and, like that. and then you can see how round it is. And generally, oh, excuse me. Um, generally when I am, uh, cr- doing pinholes, I'll do six or eight pinholes in a strip and, um, I'll make sure I know which end of the strip is which in the scan. And then I'll go through and, you know, maybe five of five of 10 will be good. Uh, and then I'll just cut cut those out. And so I was going to I was going to interrupt and ask another sure. question. Now you've you've made a pinhole. You know what size it is. Um, and then isn't there a table that we can put a link to that will? Oh yeah, um, give you an ideal focal length. So the ideal distance that pinhole should be away from a- the film. Absolutely, based based on the size of the pinhole. It's actually already on um, our. Um, uh, on our website, homemadecamera.com. If you go into pinhole resources and it is a link, and I believe it's a link to Mr. Pinhole. Um, uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, that's what he calls himself. So, um, the, uh, so it, it's a link there and, um, uh, and, and you can put in the, the focal length, you can put in the size of the frame and it does a whole bunch of calculations and it'll give you your f-stop. It'll give you your uh, f-stop rating of what that camera is. And then uh, it'll also do you calculations on on how long shutters are, uh, or how long exposures are for like f-16, or sunny 16 uh, equivalent. So it's, so, it's really So good. what you're saying is you can take a, a normal light reading and then extrapolate to find out how much longer the, the shutter has to be Absolutely. open with your tiny panel. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's charts for that. But uh, what I was curious about is as far as the building goes, getting the, the ideal focal length makes a big difference in the quality. Absolutely. If you, if you put a, a tiny little pinhole, uh, you know, th- um, too close to the paper, you don't get great results. And if you put a giant right. pinhole um, not far enough away, it, it doesn't give you a good result right. either. So, um, yeah, so that that's all uh, available um, in the pinhole resources inside uh, homemadecamera.com. So um, do you have any, did you work on anything other than the, uh, uh, think about the, uh, the garbage cam challenge? Are you working on a camera at all? Um, let's see. Mostly I've been actually tinkering with repairing and getting some cameras together, okay. but I have been re- but I've also been doing a lot of testing. So I've been uh, shooting the the uh, Lomoit Lander uh-huh. camera that I talked about earlier. Got some more film through that, um, trying to get a better handle on what it can do and can't do, thinking about putting a different lens on it. Yeah. So 
mostly I've just been testing things. The, as far as the garbage cam is concerned, I've been thinking a lot about trying to make something that will take an eight by ten piece of paper. So okay. that'll that's probably just you know obviously going to be a big pen. So um, here's something that I bought. Um, I was um, watching um, uh, uh, not Flickr Instagram. And uh, Corey Cannon of the Lensless podcast. Uh, it's all uh, if you haven't heard that one, it's all pinhole um, camera stuff. So the Lensless podcast. Corey Cannon um, got some of the uh, Harman Ilford, the Ilford Harman uh, direct positive paper, and they have discontinued this paper. They're they're not going to continue making it. Uh, really? Yes, that's what I've heard. So I well, I just I just picked up some of the Russian stuff sold as the super fast. Okay. Stuff. Oh yeah, you'll have to. So so I have some, but it, it's a more elaborate developing procedure. Turns out I need to buy some more. Right. Yeah. To, to and that it. was what I understood about that. So uh, so I picked up a twenty five sheet box of um, a four by five um, direct positive. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. But it was one of those things where I thought, you know, this is never going to be something that I do a lot of, but I sure want to be able to do it before it's gone. So yeah, that that makes sense because because actually a paper negative is you know just right. just as good in a lot of ways. Right? Yeah. You know? it, there, but there is something though about the idea that you could you could do the whole thing in the street and have your finished product in your right. hand without using a, right a right computer. And, That's true. And, yeah. And one of the things that I've also been thinking is I also bought some. Uh, Ilford multi-grade uh, resin-coated paper um, that, uh, you know, normal, uh, you know, printing paper is that, you know, if I'm going to scan it, it doesn't matter whether it comes out as a negative or not. You know, if I take that out and I scan it, you know, yeah, it's going to, I'm exactly. just going to invert it. You know, I mean, there's, there's right. nothing wrong with that. So, so that was one of the things I worked on. And um, with the six by three camera, which I've named, by the way, I should, I should actually name it. I kept t writing out six by three camera and I thought, well, I should name it. It's the 63 <laughs> and you, it's 60 is spelled out and then three is the number. So it's the 63. Um, oh, okay. So I'm in the testing stage on that. Um, I got um, uh, my original shooting that I did with it was with the pinhole adapter. Uh, I had a pinhole plate with it. And I got really good results. Um, and I, you know, no uh, light leaks or anything like that. And then I put the lens on there and I have light leaks that are just, I mean, to the point where you can't really see an image. And so it sounds like the light's coming in around. Yeah, you would think that. I would think that too. But I have done extensive testing that says that the light is not coming in in that range. And I really think it's coming in. Um, through the back and the reason why... okay so then maybe it's being reflected by the lens it could be and, it the, could... and the pinhole didn't do that well here's here's where i really think it is is i was shooting on a brighter day and i was shooting when i it was out in direct sunlight and in order to see the film advance numbers you it's down a really long tunnel and you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm going to send Nick uh, a copy. But you have of a camera. red window, and you have a. I red do filter not in have there, a right? red filter in there. Oh well. <laughs> I have a lot of cameras. I have a lot of cameras that don't have the red filter. There are lots of cameras sorry that to be, don't have the red. filter. I'm sorry to be laughing, but it's it's as if you are testing every like everything that's been worked out over 150, 200 years of photography. You're like 
checking to see if it really is true. Well, I, now hold hold on. I have I have a um uh a Zenobia camera that doesn't have a red window and it doesn't fog, and it's a six four five where it's at it's at the edge. So um, and you're using film with a reasonably high I am, ISO. I am. So huh, so that's fair. So high. you know um, the the big problem is that I'm you know I think it's hitting direct sunlight. But I think that maybe my film isn't flat at that point. So, right, so it's so creeping, it's creeping around, around the edges. The edges. Yeah. So I'm, I'm right. working on getting the film flat. Um, so, so this yeah. is all stuff that I'll work out before I say, but I, if I were you, I would stick a piece of red cellophane over that. Yeah. Cellophane. Okay. So where do you get the right stuff? Right. Red cellophane. I don't have any of that. I don't know, but, um, you know, there's tons of old filters around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and actually gel, it's probably, you, you, you're going to want to get it as a gel. Yeah. Um, and I bet you anything, you could order that from one of the big camera suppliers. I'll have to look it up. Because they, they make gels to go over lights yeah. and they, people still use them in some parts of the it, process. It, I have a huge pile of them that came with some darkroom equipment. Yeah. I, I did stumble on another half of a darkroom with oh, stuff. Yeah. Hardly any, hardly any money in a, in a thrift store. And anyway, so there, I might even have something I'll look around. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, you could just compare it to another, you know, like hold up something next to a red window on a camera. Right. And if it looks about the same, it probably Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll try to do that. So, so anyway, um, so do you have any, uh, um, letters or emails or anybody you want to talk about anybody's work you want to talk about before we, we head off? I'm just going to say that I, I've been roaming around a little bit and, inviting people to add images of their cameras mm. to our Flickr stream. And I really keep finding more and more amazing stuff out yeah. there. And uh, I feel like I've been thinking about this a lot for a couple of years and I feel like I'm still just barely on the tip of an iceberg of stuff to yeah. do. It's really, uh, I, which is the way I yeah. like it. Um, one of the people that I've been looking at uh, the work is, and his work, he, he's, he uh, seems to have fallen off Flickr about a year ago, but I used to um, like his work as he did it. But um, it, the the username is Ross uh, Tagashi, and if you look back, he has some really incredible cameras, um, and uh, so uh, cameras that he he made. Um, he uh, so so take a take a look at some of those. Um, Another one is Andrew Bieber, uh, spelled just like Justin, and I'm sure he'll be very happy that I make that mention. Um, but he took, okay, do you, do you remember the Nimslo, um, uh, panoramic, or not panoramic, um, 3D camera? It had four lenses across the front. Do you remember that? Uh, sort of dimly, yeah. not, not really. Well, he took the lenses off. And it has a pan, you know, it has two 35 millimeter frames side by side. Um, and he took, um, a, uh, large format lens and put it on the front of that and then built, built a really nice, uh, trigger grip and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but that is some incredible, uh, and, uh, in, in really incredible, uh, work. Um, and that was a while ago. I, I, I look backwards in the beautiful homemade or b- beautiful handmade camera, um, uh, Flickr group. So that was, uh, uh, some, there's some work. Okay. Out there. I'll track that down. 
Yeah, yeah it sounds good. Um, okay, so if you want to uh, join us uh, on Flickr, our Flickr group is Homemade Camera Podcast. The Homemade Camera Podcast. If you want to uh, email uh, me, you can get me. It's Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, at homemadecamera.com. Nick is Nick at homemadecamera.com. If you want to find me on Flickr, it is Freezer of Photons. All one word, Freezer of Photons on Flickr. And what's yours, Nick? Uh, it's just my name, Nick okay. Lyle. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. You can uh, find me, Graham Homemade Camera, on Instagram. And we are also part of the Film Podcast Network. For a listing of film and experimental photography podcasts, uh, visit the filmpodcastnetwork.com. If you have a podcast yourself, there's a form there for you to fill out and add your show uh, to that list. So um, that is definitely something that you'll want to do. And I'd want to remember to thank Robbie Cribbs again uh, of Soundtrap Studios because he uh, composed and created the music that we use throughout the show. And we'll see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.